Good evening. This is fun to do an evening service, our second one. This has been so fun to be in a new space. You guys, thanks for um, choosing to journey with us in this. It's um, an exciting time for our church. My name is Ashley, and I'm on this team, and I'm really thankful. Even in worship, I'm just thankful for Jesus loving us where we are. It is a privilege, like a privilege and an honor. Um, to be with you guys tonight. I really do feel it's a privilege to be asked um, to share tonight. Thank you for trusting me. Um, we're going to jump into it. I'm not going to, I know some of you are confused because like it might be 6.30 in your body clock and you're like, I'm ready to eat dinner. Well, we're going to feast on a few things and then we'll go eat some dinner after this, okay? Um, just in case you haven't been with us and you are new, um, we have been doing an incredible series on sex and sexuality um, for the last couple weeks and then we moved to this new venue and then I am not going to continue that, though I would love to talk with you about it if you want, but next week... Come back ready because we're going to continue that series. So we've been on a pause. Katia is going to finish that next week and talk about sex, sexuality, singleness, which is 98% of the room. So you better get excited that singleness and marriage, shout out to the few in the room, um, will be talked about next week. And bring your single friends. Singleness is valuable. It is not um, undervalued in this community compared to marriage. It's not. So next week, that's just the taste teaser. I know you all just keep showing up because you want to hear what else Katia is going to say about sex. Literally, I feel like every week people are like, is she going to say it again? I'm like, surprise, it's me tonight instead. But it's going to be fun, okay? So next week, <laughs> next week we're going to keep going into that series. But tonight, um, last this past Wednesday, we um, gather every first Wednesday of the month for a time of worship and prayer. It's called our Feast Nights, if you are newer to our community. And we gathered this last Wednesday. And I had already been asked a, several months back to preach on this specific day. And Julian brought a vision and word for us. And then so Sophie shared on top of that. God was giving us, come on those Wednesday prayer nights, prayer and worship. I just don't want to, it is Prayer is one of the most valuable meeting times you could come to. Without that, we are not going to see the kingdom come or see revival in our cities. Like, come, pray, prioritize that meeting. But this past Wednesday, Julian was sharing on territories and authority that God's giving to us individually in our neighborhoods, in our cities, as a church. So Sophie was sharing on walking that out in authority. And I got really excited because tonight... I was planning already to preach on a message that I believe the Lord's taking us in our community into a deeper level of authority through this passage that we're going to jump into. There's a key that actually Jesus, I feel like, is going to reveal to us in a greater way tonight. I know it's going to be familiar to some. So even now, I just want you to close your eyes. Jesus, I pray that our eyes would be opened afresh tonight with the word that you're bringing, that your truth would unlock places of our heart that long to see what it looks like to love you with everything in us and to love our neighbor as ourself, that we wouldn't become familiar or comfortable or feel too grown up in the church to think these words aren't important to us. Yeah, Jesus, we make room for you to speak in Jesus' name. Why don't you guys turn to Luke chapter 10. There's something so significant about this parable that we've heard plenty of times if you've grown up in the church, and if not, you've probably heard even the news and media often like to take this um, 
category of people, Samaritan, when something great happens, they're like, oh, the Samaritan story on the news, this act of kindness that was displayed. Let's talk about it like this is the goal, this act of kindness. And this um, parable we've heard so many times of what it looks like to love our neighbor. Tonight, I feel like God is taking us from just an act of kindness to really display what it looks like to cost, inconvenience us, to lay our prejudice and preferences aside to really love our neighbors. So tonight, we're going to read Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Are you ready? Yes? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, in Jesus' fashion with a story, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So interesting to me that this lawyer comes to Jesus, as lawyers probably love to do. Let me actually test and see how well you know the law, because I've studied it really well. I'm a lawyer, and I'm actually gifted in a lot of ways to probably find out which ways maybe you have a loophole that isn't actually true to what the law says. He's actually coming to Jesus, trying to test him. And Jesus, he answers his question with the word of God. I love that Jesus, and I'm going to go, we're going to talk about this in how to love our neighbor and what the Samaritan story is to us. But before we do, the things I want to start with, the very beginning and how, and this is, being set up for us. Is he saying, you want eternal life? You have questions? In the church, we often say, I just want to feel alive, like fully alive. I just wish I was doing the thing I was made to do. I just, I had this conversation, and it just wasn't life-giving. I'm not hating on all your questions. I've said all of these before, okay? Um, But those are the questions we're often asking, right? Like, what makes me come alive? He's like, you want to know what makes you come alive? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor, You want to be fully alive? Love your neighbor. You want to feel what it looks like to be all that he's made you for? Start by loving your neighbor. 
And then he asks the question, and instead of Jesus just saying, yeah, this is the answer, he said, actually, you have questions. I love your questions. Let's look at the word. What does the word say? If we have questions, Jesus is so kind, and he gave us the word of God to answer so many of our questions. If we actually gave ourselves to studying and letting the word of God come alive in us, so many of our questions or confusing thoughts that come up, like this is what he gave us. He gave the lawyer. He said, what do you know? It's the word of God. That's what's life for you. So I love this. He says eternal life. So you know, if you know the scriptures, you know the greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not going to actually talk to you tonight about what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself in the sense of like, I know we've heard a lot of, if you don't love yourself well, you can't love your neighbor. Or, um, yeah, I just feel like the world's done a good job of what it looks like if you need to find a way to figure out how to love yourself better, take a bubble bath, self-care, self-help. There's plenty of that out there if you need it. This scripture, Jesus wasn't worried if this lawyer was going to know if he could love the other person well enough as well as he loved himself. He was hoping that this lawyer could look past the fact that the person in front of him that Jesus was asking him to love was the most unlovable person he could ever think of, and that's the person he wanted him to love, not how well he was taking care of himself, because the Pharisees, the priests, the Levites, they actually would wash themselves as, as a part of their ritual to be clean enough to be in the presence of God. They took really good care of themselves to be in right standing with God. He said the Samaritan loved best. Okay, let's look really quick. At John, okay, I don't, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. Okay, he says, where am I? Oh, the power of life is released in the practical act of loving our neighbor. It's not like, oh, I'm going to bake cookies and I love my neighbor. Well, like that's amazing. But there's actually a, a powerful act of life released when you love your neighbor. He says it's life. The same word life used in the scripture in verse 28, the same word life when he's saying, and, and you will live, this is the same word as in John 11 where it says, his word is life to us. And this, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, will live. This word live, being fully alive, to live, is the same word as the resurrection life being in you and you are now alive. The way that you love your neighbor actually releases life, resurrection power. Jesus rose from the grave life as you love your neighbor. It's so much more than just, um, oh, I need to be kind and have this act of kindness. And those are all beautiful. But there's something that is actually released in the spirit of life when you love your neighbor. The second thing I want to do before we jump into actually what it looks like and who our neighbor is, is loving our neighbor, verse 29, but he desired to justify himself. In order for us as a church to know what it looks like to love our neighbor, we have to lay down every right to justify ourselves. You've already been justified in Christ. So actually, you already are in right standing with him. So any desire you have to be right was dead when Jesus died, in the and, died and went to the grave. And when he, you became alive in him, you actually gave up that right because you are already in right standing with him. You have no need to justify yourself to anyone. 
So if you have that desire, I just need to be right. Jesus is saying, hey, you want to be right? You won't be able to have and inherit eternal life because you can't love your neighbor if you want to justify yourself. Okay, so we are going to be fully alive and lay down the desire to justify ourselves before we even talk about who our neighbor is. Okay, who is our neighbor? Jesus, in this story, uses a Samaritan, which, if you look even before and a few chapters earlier, is the most shocking example he could have used to them. Like, when he's saying it, I imagine Jesus is a brilliant storyteller. So I imagine he's, like, starting off by answering their question, and when he gets to the part after a priest, after a Levi, but a Samaritan, they're like, <gasps> like, I can't believe you said that word. It's like when Katia preached a few weeks ago, and she said all those fun words. Yeah, you remember them if you were here. That is what Jesus did to these people by shocking them at the idea of loving a Samaritan. Like, it was so offensive. Who is your neighbor? I love the practicalities of loving our actual neighbors. I believe you should know your neighbors. You should ask them to dinner. You should get to know the people that live next door. Especially in our culture these days, it's hard um, to see that you could live two years somewhere and actually never know the neighbor's name next to you. Like, love your neighbors next to you. But this is going far past just loving who lives next door to you. Your neighbor's the person you don't feel drawn to. You're like, oh, I just don't feel drawn to them. Like, you know, I just, like, I don't feel, I said this, I said this so many times when I moved to Redding, California. I was put in this group of 75 people, and I remember, actually, my husband's now one of them, but I remember saying this at the beginning, before now he's my husband, before I was like, I just don't feel drawn to, like, any of them. Like, I just don't feel like them. I just, I'm, I literally had this conversation of, like, ah, they're just, I just, I just don't feel drawn to them. They're not my people. Your neighbor is the person you don't feel drawn to. In this story, Jesus is saying the person that doesn't vote like you, that doesn't look like you, that doesn't have the same background as you, that's your neighbor. He's not saying the people that are really easy for you to love is loving your neighbor. He's saying the people that feel impossible for you to love are your neighbor's. Jesus is speaking to this lawyer and others that are surrounding him, and he's speaking about the most godliest dressed people, the most intelligent people, those with the most EQ in the room. Those are the ones he's talking to, and he's saying, actually, I want you to love the people that are most different than you. They might not have the highest EQ in the room. They might not actually have an education at all. They might actually come from an entirely different background or value system. They, They might be the abuser. They might be the victim. That's your neighbor. The person who most irritates you, disgusts you, confuses you, offends you. Love that person. And now Jesus says, let me show you what loving a person actually looks like. Because if it doesn't look like just saying, okay, yeah, I'll pray for them. Like, ah, that person, I really don't enjoy being around. So Jesus, I'm just going to pray for them right now, Lord. You can have your way with them. 
Just don't inconvenience, inconvenience me by doing anything practical about it. Like, I'll just pray. I'm just going to pray because that's loving my neighbor because I just don't want to be ungodly by being really uh, offended and irritated around them. So instead of that, I'm just going to pray for them. That's not what Jesus is saying. The way that the Samaritan loved this man was so practical. It wasn't he just prayed for him as he walked by the side of the road. It's full of compassion, costly, inconvenient, practical, generous, absolutely supernatural. That is loving our neighbor. Okay, let's look at verse, starting in verse 33 in this story. We're just going to unpack this story together. I hope you love looking in the Bible. If you don't have it in front of you, you can look at it on your phones. I won't be offended. Okay, he says, so Jesus is telling the story, and the first thing he did Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, I would like to point out right before the priest and the Levite, do you love that they were going, um, oh, starting in verse 31, sorry, now by chance, he even made it convenient for the priest and the Levite, like by chance, like they might not have, he didn't point out that like the Samaritan was on a journey, like he actually was, he had plans, he had been journeying, the other two just by chance, They could easily do what they had been studying their whole life to do. Okay, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This word compassion, the other two didn't stop because they didn't have compassion. If they had compassion, the response would have moved them into action because compassion's actually impossible without action. The word itself means inwardly, I feel such a strong, it actually is a weird root word of like your kidneys and like parts of your body, (laughs) but it's like your inwards are moving (laughs) so much that you have to move into action. Compassion isn't, oh, I see them, I'll pray for them, which is good. Or I see them, I feel sympathy or bad or even empathy. Compassion is move into action. We cannot be the church that says we're filled with compassion without doing something about it. Compassion moves into action. The Samaritan, he walked this journey and he didn't stop and just see the man. He moved into such practical responses of love that actually allowed the man to heal. I think so often, I know we've all done it, we're on our, we're on, um, our journeys, and you pass by the other side of the road. We've all done it. You're like, oh, I see that man. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. So it's not like we can look at these stories and not actually see, like, ourselves in them. It's not like they're these horrible humans that just don't care about anyone. We've all walked. But Jesus is inviting us as a church into a deeper level of authority, which means and will require compassion from us to move into action for people to tangibly and practically feel the love of God. I want to say one quick thing about um, someone who was an expert burnt-out Christian in my past, okay? So I'm not saying it as like, just do whatever, have no boundaries, never sleep, never eat. 
I mean, I don't recommend that. But what I am saying is compassion fatigue or the inability to say no and have boundaries is actually not an issue of wanting to have compassion and love someone. It's an issue of an identity and not knowing that your value is never going to be based on what you do, but only in who you are, which was bought with a price, that you were saved by grace without doing anything. You were actually saved for, you were saved, he came for the sinners, right? So compassion fatigue or the issue of boundaries isn't relevant here because this is actually saying you know who you are. You've been bought with a price. It's not to prove something. It's moved in compassion towards somebody. Jesus is healing the church of any identity that they've taken on that has compassion fatigue and just too tired to love anybody around them. That is not the church. When you've encountered the love of Christ, you actually have to move. You can't just stay in your prayer closet and not do anything about it. There's going to be action that follows. It's compassionate and it's practical. I love, um, I don't know who says it. Everyone quotes each other and it's all God. It's all for him. Okay, but it's not supernatural or spiritual if it's not practical. There's such practical responses that the Samaritan gives. He actually takes him. He goes out of his way. He binds up his wounds. He's dressing him. He's half dead. He puts him on his own animal. He takes him to an inn. He pays for it. He's practically helping. I am... I was at a Starbucks a couple days ago. One of the issues I feel like we have often is not wanting to be taken advantage of. There's this, like, fear we walk around with, like, I just don't want to be taken advantage of, or we think it's our responsibility to decide what's best done with the practical things we give towards other people. And I was at this Starbucks, and there was a guy outside. He had a box of candy. He said he was in school. He looked a little older, and it was school hours, and he wasn't there. So maybe he was in school. But he was like, hey, would you like to buy some of my candy? Our basketball team is going um, on this trip, and we, are, we made it to the next competition level. Like, would you love to sponsor us? We're so excited. And I didn't have any money on me. And I'm like, uh, let me go check. I might have a couple dollars in the car. And he's like, that's great. And I went to the car. I had no money on me at all. I used my app to buy the drink inside. I didn't have, I don't even think I have my wallet on me. But I came back and told him, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, are you going to be here? I asked him if he, what his name was, and um, I was asking him if he was going to be there, like, later that week. I genuinely thought, I want to come back. Like, I come to this area all the time, and if he's here, like, I'd love to, like, give him a couple dollars or however much I felt and just, like, bless him on his trip. Like, you could tell he was happy that someone stopped. I'm sure he got turned down a lot that day. However, as soon as I was done and told him, I'm so sorry, he was like, it's okay. You got your app. Can you just buy me an apple juice? <laughs> And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> he literally just, out of nowhere, from like, oh, I really need this thing. He was like, oh, could you just use your app and get me an apple juice instead? <laughs> and I, you know what, guys? If he was taking advantage, if he never was on a basketball team, if he's not in high school because he wasn't in school that day anyways, if that candy was actually just the Halloween candy from the night before and he was actually figuring out how to make a business out of that Halloween can candy. Like, who cares if you're taken advantage of in that way? Because really what matters is the fact that that person in front of you is feeling loved and practically, and you're not walking in fear of being taken advantage of and actually withholding the life that you release when you love your neighbor. He's not asking them, oh, you might be taken advantage of, so make sure to go 
uh, down this actual route that's called the Bloody Way, um, this path that they were on where the rock robbers beat the man this was known as like this bloody path like people got killed on this journey all the time and he wasn't saying the Samaritan like was a terrified I mean he, he might have been I would have been afraid but he wasn't withholding love because of the possibility of being taken advantage of it's full of compassion loving our neighbor it's practical it's generous I love that he gave more than he needed the Samaritan. He paid for his hotel, and then he even says, and I'm giving more than that. I, you can go back and listen. There's beautiful messages at the church on the value we have of generosity. It's not because it's a good idea. It's because actually it releases something of the kingdom that feels and tastes like Jesus for people that have never experienced it before to know that's actually what God looks like. It's generous. Loving our neighbor is supernatural. It's practical and it's supernatural. I want to look at the end of this story. Would you go there back to it so you keep having to open it up? Or you can just listen to me. Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I think what's so interesting is the man that was so offended at this story, the Samaritan being the one that actually is the, the one loving, uh, the one we are, sh are to be like in loving our neighbor, he can't actually say the words, the Samaritan. Like he could have said like the good Samaritan. You know, that is how mind-blowing the idea of loving a Samaritan or being loved by a Samaritan was to him. He can't even, he's not saying the Samaritan, sh that's the one, that's the one that showed love. He's saying the one who showed mercy as if he, the man robbed and left dead, had done something wrong, which is why he needed mercy. It wasn't he showed compassion. Mercy is when you actually have an idea that somebody needs something that they didn't actually deserve the help. He responds with, the one who showed, he showed mercy. It's not ours to choose who deserves when the one that paid the highest price was for you and me and the one that you don't know if you can love. Mercy was not what actually was shown in this situation. It was compassion that was practical and in his mess. Like it was so messy. It wasn't a story of this easy journey. It was so impossible. It was supernatural for the Samaritan to do this. The robber or the man who had been robbed to receive love from the Samaritan, that whole situation was supernatural. The lawyer walks away hearing Jesus say to him, you go and do likewise. I can imagine the lawyer saying, that's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. I don't actually think I can do that. 
Because when we only love to what's possible in our own strength, the person that's easy to love, the energy I have on my own, that is not what Jesus is requiring. He's saying love supernaturally. It actually needs to be impossible. It actually needs a taste of heaven, which is supernatural in the ways that you love. It's not what feels easy. It's not the most natural thing to love your neighbor. It's supernatural. It would be impossible without the love of Christ, the Spirit filling us. It actually tastes different than the world's way of loving their neighbor because it tastes different. It releases the kingdom, which in return transforms a life from death into life. The power of life released in loving our neighbor happens because it's supernatural. You guys okay? I just want to tell this story, and then we're, we're going to end soon. I was in this situation once, um, probably 10 years ago, and I um, was with a friend. At the time, we had been um, working with some girls that were coming out of some really interesting situations, but we were with a friend, almost just like someone in this room. I was just with a, uh, some friends. They were talking about a friend that they knew, and they were like, I really think that they're in this um, pretty hard situation with um, a relationship. And it led to, I think they're actually in a domestic violent relationship. And this um, particular girl, um, she's like, ah, she's, she didn't say she's so hard for me to love, but she was just different. She was like, I want to help this girl. I just don't know how. We're like, okay, what should we do? We'll just pray. I don't know these people at all that they're referring to. So we pray for the person. And while we're praying, while we're praying, the girl calls the friend I'm talking with, she calls sobbing, hysterical. She's screaming. She's screaming, I'm being beaten. I'm being beaten. She's screaming. And we're like, ah, what do we do? Okay, guys, if you put yourself in situations that require the impossible to happen, you'll see it happen a lot more. And so I was in this situation. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do, except for we need to get in the car and we need to go. So we call 911. I have no idea who this person is. She's screaming. We called 911. We're driving. On the way, we're praying like we're too I think 22-year-olds at the time, were 22-year-olds driving into the scene of what sounds really traumatic. And while we're praying, we're like, God, send like the police that's there before us. Uh, can you send us a man that wants to go in with us? We're like praying for practical things. And while we're driving behind me, there's this guy. I recognize his car. He's a part of our church, a good friend of mine. I see him behind me. And I'm like, okay, so I call on the phone. I'm like, hey, he's behind me. I'm like, Mark, I need you to follow me. <laughs> I'm going and I don't know what's happening, but I need you to come. And I, in the moment, knew like Jesus answered that prayer. And so this man's driving behind me, my friend. I'm like, okay, follow us. I'm trying to let him know what's happening, but I don't want him to be too afraid. So we get there, and with our man friend, um, that looks a little bit more like he can, I could have, no, no, I'm glad he was with her. <laughs> I'm glad he was with us. Anyways, we get there. The police are already there, thankfully. The, the um, man who had been um, beating this girl was already downstairs with, um, with the police officer, and she's upstairs, and we go upstairs. We ask if it's okay. We go upstairs. So we see her, like, bruised all over her body. And uh, she looks at us, and 
she had just gotten saved like two months before, and she was so desperate to know Jesus. Like, I just want to do it right. And this man, he was telling me like that he's marrying us and like all this like spiritual crazy abuse was happening. And she's like, I just want to know what Jesus looks like. I just want to follow him. Like she's kind of out of it at that state. And so we just look at her and we were able to, it just, guys, this is supernatural. I wouldn't have just shown up and known how to do This is not about me. I hope you can hear that. So we get in the room with her, and we ask her, like, she has, like, blood in different places. So we just ask if we can, like, wash off it, and if we can pray for her. If she needs something practically, can she stay with us? And um, who can we call on her family? And she had come out of this wild witchcraft background, too. And so she lets us pray for her. We, like, put on worship. We start ministering to her for hours. And she starts coming to church, and we spent days with her. And it wasn't like that was the rest. Like, I I don't know where she is today, guys. Like, she wasn't like the friend that I was going to call up and um, like we weren't like always going to run into each other necessarily. But I know in that moment there was something that fell off of her because the thing that she was so afraid of was the church wouldn't love her after that experience, that the church wouldn't know how to have compassion and just sit with her or practically call the right people to get her a lawyer so she wouldn't be in maybe that same situation again. It looked full of compassion. It was so inconvenient. It was so practical. It was full of generous, um, overwhelming, like more than enough moments for her. That's what loving our neighbor looks like. And if many of us have most likely have not found ourselves in that situation, I, I hope. I'm not saying I want you to run around and pray you find that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But many of us, there's opportunities like this and many others waiting all around the city. But they're just waiting for you to lay down your prejudice of what it looks like to love your neighbor so that when it happens, when it's right in front of you, you can release life through the spirit that's been given to you to have authority to see that person healed, set free, delivered, and loving God. That's what's available to us when we love our neighbor. That's what the city, that's what Boston needs as a church to be ready to love our neighbor, even if it's inconvenient. Because it will be inconvenient and it will be costly. And it's going to be really likely that you would not enjoy that person otherwise. Loving our neighbor looks like the Samaritan. I'm going to end with this final point, the Samaritan story. I love this parable. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I mean, go back and read it. I love this parable, but like most of Jesus's parables, the story of love and loving our neighbor is prophesying Christ's love towards us and invites us into walking in the same way. The man left wounded, stripped, half dead in this story is us. We might be convicted of like, oh, I've been the priest and the Levite, and I've been too busy, and I'm on my way to my appointment or my classes, and I can't stop, and I don't want to walk on the other side of the road. But all of us have been the man left wounded and half dead. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that Samaritan, but it was Jesus who walked the bloody way. Jesus Christ walked the bloody way, and it wasn't just to put us in a cozy inn for two days to, like, help us forget about our problems. It was to go all the way to the grave and three days later rise again so that we would experience eternal life so that we could get away to the city of Boston who's desperately looking for what life is about. 
Jesus Christ is prophesied in this story, and it's inviting us, empowering us to know that we are exactly the same. We needed someone to get us half dead and in a bloody mess. I have been that half-dead person in a bloody mess, and he found me and had compassion on me. It is an honor to know what you've been rescued from. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.